Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Each week, we bring you an inspiring woman to share her story, her personal insights, to help you access your passion and your purpose, and also so you become the leading woman in your own life. You know, helping women share their stories and expertise is one of my favorite things to do. That's why I've continued to interview these amazing lady women for over a decade. I chose 19 of the best experts from the conversation to co-author my book, Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. It's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and the business section of area bookstores. Now, if you haven't bought yours yet, or if you know a woman who wants to pursue her passion, this is a book for her, and also for you. This week, I'm pleased to introduce you to another amazing lady woman. Her name is Susan Kellogg. Currently, Susan is the retail brand and board member of the UCL, UCLA Sociology Department and the Cal Poly Pomona Apparel, Merchandising, and Management and Agricultural Department. Susan launched her career as a fashion buying executive at Macy's West, followed by a series of leadership positions with Liz Claiborne Incorporated and as a group president for Bridge and Contemporary Brands. Next, she served as CEO of Ellie Tahara Incorporated, where she significantly increased the contemporary fashion brand's international and retail business. Most recently, she was responsible for three brands of the VF portfolio as president of the Contemporary Brands Coalition for VF Corporation. Susan shares my passion about helping women and has many insights into the problems of trying to fill positions with a gender-diverse workforce. I look forward to hearing her story, and I'm very happy to welcome Susan Kellogg to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Welcome. Thank you. This 30 minutes is about you. And sometimes people get real uncomfortable with that because one of the most important things that I'm going to ask you today is to tell me your your story. And um, I've had many many women say, well, nobody's ever asked me about my story. But to me, that is the most valuable piece of information that when I ask someone, tell me who you are, tell me how you became who you are, tell me your story, is that that's when I really start to connect with that human, that other human being, especially women. We're not very good about telling each other who we are. So I always start with that. So who are you, Susan, and how did you become the person I'm talking to today? Well, it's hard to recap 57 years and 30 minutes, first of all. But um, what I would say is that my story, it usually uh, starts with my mother in terms of how I became who I was, mostly because my parents got divorced when I was seven. Uh, We were seven, six, and five in the 60s. And my mom was a trendsetter um, on many fronts, uh, racing cars and flying helicopters, but getting divorced as a Catholic in the suburbs of Chicago in the 60s, uh, she was the only one. And um, what happened was she was thrown out of the country club because only men could be members. Uh, We were thrown out of our Catholic school because we were divorced, and I guess we were lepers, so we had to reroute to the public grammar school. And she couldn't get credit um, because nothing was in her name. And I think that my mom did a very good job with my sister and myself in particular, making sure as women that we were independent. And her goal was always that we could take care of ourselves. 
And right. she really meant that financially, that she didn't want us to ever be in that position that she found herself, you know, in her late 20s. Yeah, that to me is probably the most valuable thing. You've, you've said that right there, right there, because personally I had very strong women in my family as well. And my mother was probably a little bit more traditional than your mother, but she did fly. She, she got her pilot's license and did some pretty amazing things. But I, I think that has a lot to do with the way we're reared if we have mothers that really do uh, not only want us to, to be able to care for ourselves, but we don't all, always color in the lines, so to speak. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, you, you, you know, you've got a wonderful history, and, and my passion is women's leadership. My other passion is horses. So let's start with, with, <laughs> let's start with the business part, because I'm going to read something that you wrote and, and shared, because I think this is a, a very, very valuable piece of information that we do need to help women understand. You said at the CEO at BF Corporation, I insisted on interviewing 50% diversity hires, which which included gender, not just race. In spite of being a female CEO and president, it was very difficult to find female candidates that were qualified, especially in the more technical jobs like production and finance. I don't know how you feel about that now, but my basic goal is to create gender parity for women's leadership by the year 2025. And I'm working with a a major organization, which I'd love for you to get more involved with at some point. But what what do you think is going on right now in business? I know you're you're a mother now, you have a daughter, and of course you want you want the world to be a better place for her to live in. But where where do you think we are in business right now when it comes to women and women's leadership? Well, first I just want to clarify that um, I did say that. I, I do believe that still today, even though I might have said that a few years ago. Just to clarify, I was a group president for VF Corporation, not the CEO. We only had one CEO of the entire corporation who oversaw all 30 brands at the time. So I just was at that time managing four of them. Um, as a group president. But um, I was a CEO prior to my position in VF. um, And the statistics 30 years ago were that 15% female CEOs of the Fortune 500 existed, and 30 years later, 15% existed. And so that's a statistic that bothers me. It bothers me that I spent 34 years as a female senior executive in a variety of roles at a variety of companies, and yet we haven't really moved the needle that much in terms of percentages of presidents and CEOs that are female. Mm -hmm. To me, it's very frustrating. But what do you think the reason that women's leadership is still not – I mean, we're 12th in the – we're 12th in the world right now is when it comes to Right, and I know that there's good. different statistics depending on your subsets yeah. of what you're looking yeah. at. I've heard Absolutely. the highest number I've heard is 22% female presidents. Um, it just yeah. really depends on how you slice and dice the pie and what companies you're looking at. So even if it were 22 instead of 15, that's, you know, if, if we're 50% of the population, you know, there's still obviously room to grow. Sure. Um, sure. I would say that... Um, Practically speaking, that, you know, it starts with this statistic that also bothers me. More females are graduating from college, right? So you would think that if the percentage of females that are graduating from college is higher, uh, I've heard upwards of 65%, and they only make up 50% of the population, you would think a better educated female would eventually penetrate the executive boardrooms of America, 
So I guess the question I'm asking myself is if more females are getting educated than males, their male counterparts, why is it still, you know, the 80-20, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, having been in the boardroom, I feel like it was a privilege to be in the boardroom at VF Corporation in particular since, you know, the statistics of executive females in that corporation were quite low. Opposite, you know, I had 10 years prior to that at Liz Claiborne where actually females dominated the boardroom under that sure. leadership. So, yeah. you know, I, I've sort of had 80% females at Liz Claiborne and, you know, 20% females at VF. So, I mean, that, that's a rough statistic at VF. It also depends on what levels you're looking at. So I would say I've seen it both ways. Um, I think in general, I was a fashion executive, so more females tended to do well in fashion, you know, just as yeah. a statement up to sure. a point. But once, yeah. Right. Just the nature of the beast. I mean, you know, fashion can be very creative and very subjective, not so hardcore science, but, you know, that's really up to the vice president level. Yeah. And then also vice president of what? You know, much easier to be the vice president of sales or vice president of merchandising, maybe even the vice president or creative director of design. Uh, much more difficult to be the CFO or the vice president of production, and you know, very few, obviously 15%, you know, to the president level, right? So what's that about? And I would say that you know, it's just from my observations of being at 12 different companies, right? So I've seen you know, different paths. A lot of it is just opting out, in my, my opinion, because you know, the peak years are really your 40s in fashion. It's a bit like the MBA or uh, not just the NBA, but, you know, I think of them because of their knees. You know, after 35, it's very hard to play professional basketball. You know, after sure. 50, it's very hard to be in fashion, you know, to be relevant. And unless you're the president or the CEO, it's very hard to have a late career in fashion. Mm -hmm. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to uh, make it well into my 50s. <laughs> well, fantastic! Congratulations. Well, you know, one of the one of the trends right now, the fastest growing trend, is women don't women own businesses because uh, many have left the C suite or have not arrived at the C suite or the Fortune right. five or Fortune five hundred country and say, why should I want to get start my own business? Right. And we we women are extremely talented at one thing, and that's when we are passionate about something and we become good at that, we can also be very good at selling that. And you talk quite a bit about that. You know, it's interesting that we buy 85% of products and services in the United yes. States, but yet we still don't control the marketplace. And, yes. and so there are these these little markers that you go, hmm, where are we? But, to, you know, you've got a daughter. You have a six-year-old yes. daughter. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I, I have, have a six-year-old daughter, and I think about this often. Um, yeah. I think that you know the first thing is education, right? You just you have right. to be educated so that you have the opportunity and the choices and the options, right? So that's the first uh, first goal. Um, and I am involved, as you know, at Cal Poly Pomona and UCLA, specifically working with uh, seniors, you know, females to help transition them into the workplace because I think both of those organizations, I'm very biased, I went to UCLA, but my family is heavily involved with Cal Poly Pomona. Sure. What I would say is that both uh, institutions do a great job of educating the women and have great female uh, statistics in terms of you know, entrance, acceptance, and graduates, but that transition into the business world is not is a little clunky there. Once you get out there, where's, where is the 
the resources. And that really is the key, is that my foundation, Women Connect for Goods, basic mission is very, very simple. Women supporting other women. Right. I think that, that um, that's something that appealed to me about you and, and your, your work because I think that's the first breakdown, right? We're doing a good job of graduating the females, but then the networking. I mean, typically women are horrible at networking, horrible at helping other females out in the business world. And, you know, Amen. I have to ask, uh, I, yes, men, men are superior to networking for sure in my experience. I mean, I will say that, you know, typically um, the short version is that, you know, if there is a family involved, whether it's children or just a husband at home, you know, it's not that the, the work at home is 50-50, right? So if the female has, a, has a, a job at a higher level and is also raising children and taking care of a husband in the home to a high level, um, yeah. she's not spending time on the golf course or at lunches or at drinks after work networking, you know, or even having coffee before work. She's just trying to get the kids you know, to and from school and the babysitters and nannies hired and fired and clothed and fed and, you know, just trying to keep the the wheels on. And she's not spending a lot of time out there connecting. Yeah. That's really, really key to the the next piece, which is, and uh, Gloria Feltonites talk about this quite a bit. Uh, She's the CEO and founder of Take the Lead. And Cheryl Sandberg has talked about this also, which is, again, partnerships not only partnerships yeah. in, in life and business, but all par- also partnerships with spouses. You've got a six-year-old daughter and you're, you're married, and, uh, you know, the partnership begins at, at home as well as far as the, the women and, and having the partner that they, they excel in what they do, but they also help you to excel in what you do as well. Right, and, right. And, and, and those domestic chores, you talk about this, you know, you're, you're now a full-time mother and you're taking care of uh, your family. And, you know, talk, talk a little bit to women who, who are doing it all because, you know, I worked, I went to school, I, I have three daughters, uh, today I have grandchildren, but, but I did it all. And, and yeah. I will say, I will tell you this, though, I did not get the support often that I wanted from, from their father at times. And it, it really was frustrating because I really did feel uh, that I was doing it on my own, by myself. And for me to be successful would have to be, you know, kind of on my, on my terms and in my way. And basically determination and tenacity were, were my best friends. Right. Um, I, I think tenacity is one of my buzzwords. You've probably heard that in other speeches I've given. But um, I think that, yes, besides education, passion, tenacity, and some talent and dedication and just plain hard work, you know, the partnership does begin at home. But I've only been married one year at this point, so I don't feel I can speak too much to that other than a traditional marriage is probably a harder partnership for a woman to hold in a senior executive role in. Because if she's doing, you know, 80% at home and 110% at work, then, you know, she's going to fail somewhere. What I would say is you can have it all, but in my opinion, not all at the same time. Hmm. And men are much better than uh, women in general of getting help. You know, they have no problem, you know, delegating everything from pick up my cleaning to send my groceries to, you know, book my trip to pack my suitcase. So, you know, they have no problem asking for help, whether it's their wife or hiring it or having their assistant or, you know, whatever to make everything happen. I used to show up at business meetings and, you know, I'd be somewhere like, let's say, Switzerland, right? And Mm -hmm. 
you know, I would be at the in the boardroom and literally the only female in the boardroom. And I would just think to myself, wow, you know what? Nobody else had the five pages of instructions for the nanny, the full refrigerator, <laughs> making sure everything was picked up and everything was done and packed themselves and, you know, barely got to the airport in time. Basically a train wreck before you even, you know, walk into the boardroom and then have to perform at, you know, a major yeah. league level. So I would say that it's definitely more challenging. I also think it's worthwhile. I think it would be very sad, and this is what I would tell young women especially, it would be very sad if all I could say was, hey, I was a president or a group president or a CEO, I made it, right, and couldn't say I'm married and I have a daughter. Yeah, and and well, and that goes back to the other point in the training that we offer through Take the Lead. Also, is one that's very, very important, and you're and you're hitting hitting the nail right on the head, which is women have to ask for help. And this yes. is something that we are not good at. No. We're not good at supporting each other at times, and we're surely not good at about asking for help. And and I think that's something that your daughter, my daughter. Uh, my daughters, uh, we have to teach them that, you know, yeah, you got to take okay. the superwoman, you got to take that superwoman t-shirt or that wonder girl uh, shirt off and say, wait a minute, I can't do it by myself. Yeah. In fact, you know, the, the thing that I've found, you put five women in a room together and they say, let's put this, let's put our resources together and you get more done with those five women yeah. than, than anything. Plus, not that's, only that, they're, that's having, what they're having a good time. They're having a good time that's at right. it. You know? Those are my favorite committees to be on. Those are my favorite people to work with. I'm in a startup right now with another female founder who's a wife and mother, and we have the most efficient meetings and the most efficient phone calls, and we're very direct and to the point because we just don't have time. You know, we're just a lot of balls in the air. So particularly at this juncture, um, I find that uh, particularly a positive thing, uh, working with women. Um, And maybe I have a gender bias. I mean, maybe that's not good because, you know, I'm sure that there are men that are equally efficient, but um, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of unwritten understanding um, if they have families uh, in terms of the time. You must be reading my mind because then it goes right into what what we call the male allies. These are the men that we align with who basically understand exactly what we're talking about. And and I think, you know, my, my next book coming out in January is called In This Together. And, and it uh-huh. really is going to take us all to come together and understand that as far as the gender parity, for the equal gender parity, it's going to take us all. It's not going to be just yeah. women helping women. It's going to be right. women working with men because, I mean, there are many, many things that we can share with each other. You talked about your mother's situation, but there are many men, though, that have wives that are spouses or partners that are extremely educated, much more talented, and make more money than them, that they can stay home and take care of the children. But again, they, they also are ostracized. And, and I mean, so we, we really have to kind of look at our society and say, wait a minute, if we, if we all really help each other, then there's really a chance that we can all succeed. And, and I, I do agree with you. There are times probably in my own career that I really was more homebound and, and with my children because of, again, special special situations. And But, you know, I mean, I, I guess I also have to recognize that I wasn't the best stay-at-home person. And, and there are some. Well, I think it's women. about choice, right? You yeah, want to be able choice. to have the choice. And, yeah. you know, especially women, um, I found even before I had my daughter, I was always very understanding about flexible work so that women could have children 
and could yeah. have family lives because intuitively I knew they would be better workers if they were more fulfilled at home. And yeah. you know, it was a little hard with corporate red tape because you know, if you give somebody the Friday telecommute, you need to give your whole company the Friday telecommute, right? And not everybody can be telecommuting necessarily on a Friday. But yeah. um, it was very tricky, but I found I, I'm so glad that I was as understanding as I was with other female executives who worked for me. I mean, if they were really good, and I wanted to retain them for a long time, I made it work. Yeah. And yeah. it was much more costly to go out and try to replace them and retrain somebody than it was to work with them. And now that I have a mother, I have such a much greater understanding of how, um, how hard it is and how much work it is. I'm working much harder now. Uh, for sure, uh, you know, because it's seven days a week and 24 hours a day, there's no off. And, yeah. you know, carving out my consulting time, um, you know, is, is very challenging. But um, I also know I need to continue to um, give back and, you know, keep my mind engaged or I'm not going to be a good mother. It's kind of like putting the oxygen mask on, you know, on me first yeah. on the plane. I mean, I do need to, to stay engaged. And also, selfishly, I don't want my 34-year career to be for naught. You know, I want to help no. the next generation. No, absolutely. I uh, love that you're giving back. And I think that's where the responsibility comes into my life, that how I can give back. And, I, you know, I'm a psychologist. I think God, she had a great sense of humor because uh, I was the ultimate tomboy, and I wasn't going to get married, and I wasn't going to have children. Well, you know how that works out. Yeah, uh, never so, say never. So that's that, how I know. <laughs> be careful what you what you wish for right. and plan, but uh, you know. But but now I really truly feel a responsibility to to really help to empower women to help them find their voices. And uh, I tell you what, the, the community is growing since time, Me Too and Times Up. We we are seeing some amazing things going on, especially in our country, that people are saying, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of women not having a voice. I'm tired of women not having their, you know, living their lives and having their passion and, and, and being able to choose to have it all if they choose to. That's, right. There's no doubt about it. But uh, so, so what, what, what do you offer as far as your thoughts and advice at this point? Because, again, like you said, you have a 34-year career, uh, career working with women in a very high-powered leadership position. And uh, say I'm 20 years old, and I, mm-hmm. I, want, I, want to, I want to make my life worth something. I want to be somebody. I want to make my voice heard. Right. I spend a lot of time actually with the 20-year-olds because I think that's a really nice uh, place to make a difference. And the first thing is, you know, they want to know how I got wherever I got, right? And sure. I, just, I just basically say that, you know, that first job out of college, it doesn't have to be the perfect job. It doesn't have to be your career path for the rest of your life. It has to be your best guess at something you're interested in, something you think you can dedicate yourself to, you know, something that sounds inspiring, and hopefully that you have some talent to be determined at, right? But if in the first year you find that that's the, not the right path, it's okay to reroute. Um, you know, I think that people get paralyzed with those first job offers. You know, do I go left, do I go right, do I go straight? And I basically say it doesn't matter which way you go because yeah, at that point, it's all about adding to your toolbox and learning. And even if you yeah. make, quote, unquote, a mistake, like, oh, I shouldn't have moved to Cincinnati, consumer products isn't for me, or, gosh, I really should have gone to San Francisco because that would have been a better uh, life experience. You know, there's no would have, should have, right? You go and you sign up for a year. Even if you're miserable, you sign up for a year. 
and you figure out what it is that you're going to learn in that experience, and then you think about your next step. Because I've had jobs where I've been promoted to positions. I've had jobs where I've been you know, demoted a position, or jobs where I went laterally. And you know, the three things for me is I always had to be learning something new. And I always had to feel like I had opportunity. And even if that meant going sideways, or even if it was a less title, or even if it might have been a little less money, like my job going from New York to LA, I took a pay cut. But I had the opportunity to work with VF Corp, which was very, very highly esteemed. And I wanted you know, that experience. I also am a Californian and wanted to get home. And I spent 20 years in, in New York, in Manhattan, um, so that I would eventually be able to afford to live in my state, California, which is very, very expensive to live in. So it all worked out, but it was not a straight line. <laughs> no, it, it seems like it all did work out. And, and, and yes, you know what I like about you, because uh, you know, I, I watched your interview with Ono, and, and the one thing that you do talk about, and this is something women do have trouble with, is that you're very competitive. And I've also been called very competitive throughout my lifetime. Along with that came other wars that I'm not necessarily going to express at this point. But, but I, think, I think women, we also need to toot our horns, tell people who we are, but use our voices. But really, that's where we, where we can learn more from the men that, about telling who, people who we are and what we can do. There's nothing wrong with competition. Competition is healthy. It brings yeah. out the best in people. And I think for women... Uh, especially, you know, a man will take a job whether he has the skills or the, you know, has, has the curriculum or the experience, and he'll say to himself, well, I'll learn on the job. A woman will say, no, I've got to get a couple more classes and get an MBA before I'll even take a, even consider the job. So, so, you know, we as women have to start understanding that everything is learning, and we do have to be competitive, and we do have to toot our horns and all the above, and you're, you're a shining example of that, and I, I appreciate that about you as far as inspiring people to go ahead and keep moving forward. I also believe that if you stop learning, it's time to get out. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so I agree. It's time to get out. Just a little bit about horses, because <laughs> I got to get the horses in there. Horses yeah. basically uh, saved my life. So, you know, you're, uh, I'm actually going to be talking, uh, speaking in Cal Pomona in January about my new book and talking about the lead mare. Well, you definitely are a lead mare, Susan, and you know what that is, of course, don't you? Well, I haven't read your book, but um, I, have, I have an idea that I might be a lead mare. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a positive. It's a positive. What, what, the, what the most important thing the lead mare does, the alpha mare does, is that she basically takes care of the herd. And ah, she, yeah. her responsibility is to make sure that they're fed, watered, safe. Yes. The stallion may protect and help the breeding of the, of the herd yes, itself. Yes, definitely. But, it, yeah. but it's the lead mare who basically oversees and makes sure that there's a healthy, healthy, healthy herd, and and that the herd goes on, and I, and I think that's what you're what you've been doing and will continue to do by giving back. And how, what other ways would you be interested in giving back? Maybe that would right. Be I was just going to say that. Um, you know, I started off on the board at UCLA and Cal Poly because I didn't want to just write a check. I wanted to actually make a difference face-to-face, -face. You know, whether it was engaging with the students or you know, connecting and networking my business connections with the students. Um, I wanted to do more than just money. Um, yeah. 
I would say that you know what I'm doing right now with I'm I'm working with uh, Tracy Wagman on a startup app called Twirl. And yeah, one thing I like great. about it is it's a free app, and it's targeting uh, teenage women, and mm-hmm. it has to do with fashion, so it's a natural for me to be involved with her on this, um, and getting just fashion comments and advice from their peer group in a way that is non-threatening. And also, you know, when you show up in an event in the wrong outfit, you can feel really awful, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you show up in an event and you feel not your best self, it can impact your performance at that event. So this is a way of getting, getting that done before you go. And it could be as little as the first day of school or as big as the prom or a job interview or everything in between. But I think I like the idea that it targets you know, empowering teenagers because I think starting there with self-esteem is good. And I also like the some of the marketing decisions, um, it's a very, very new you know, startup, so we don't have a whole lot in terms of marketing, but we just are looking at signing um, Jordan and Jody Woods, who in my mind are great examples because they're not what the media is definitely saying you know, is beautiful, which is basically Barbie, right? They're, you know, they're, they're not the perfect body types. They're you know, not yeah. classic beauties, but they are beautiful, and they feel great about themselves. I mean, Jordan has 5.5 million followers. I couldn't even believe it. I mean, that's wow. just unheard of. Wow. So we like the idea of getting involved with what I would say non-stereotypic uh, female partners, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I did to my Barbie when I first got the first one, but it, 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 it has to be censored. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with Barbie. In fact, you know, Mattel has a female president and CEO who was on the VF board, so there's nothing wrong with Barbie. It's, it's just that you know, I like there to be a plethora of you know, ideas of what you know, feeling good and feeling yeah. you know, beautiful are so that it's more inclusive, sure. a more inclusive statement. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to encourage you after our, after our call today, well, maybe we can have another call for sure, but to, to look at uh, Take the Lead, which is also a 501c3, and then okay. Connect for Good, which is a partnership with Take the Lead. But one of the things that we've just uh, completed is one of our last initiatives, which is 50 Women Change the World in Media and Entertainment, because we understand something very, very important, what girls see, what girls read, and what girls hear impacts them, as well as women, men, and boys. So we have uh, 50 women out there that have just completed the training for Take the Lead uh, Leadership Program uh, who who definitely understand this. So we want to see more and more things out there that girls, boys, men, and women feel more comfortable in their own skins yeah, uh, when they when they're out in public, and and like I said, there's so much that we can do in that respect. Is when we all start getting comfortable with who we are, not who we're who we think we're supposed to be, or what the media has said. You know, use this product for seven days and lose ten years. It just right. doesn't happen. Doesn't well, I'm work just less way. less judgmental and more supportive of you yeah. know different different ideas and different yeah. paths. I think at the end of the day, I mean, I've had several of my friends say, you know, do you have any regrets? You know about your career, you know, you missed a lot. You know, I missed funerals and weddings and all kinds of things. And, you know, obviously having my child in my 50s, not ideal. I mean, certainly a lot more energy in my 20s and 30s than in my 50s. I guess being an athlete is helping me because I feel like I can still cut the mustard. But, um, you know, I think that, no, the answer is no, because for me, every choice point, every fork in the road, 
you know, I knew that I had to, you know, you only get one life. You don't have dress rehearsal. You have to make yeah. the decision that's best for you and your inside voice, not your parents, not your whoever, but just, you know, center yourself and in your inside voice, make the best decision at the time and then keep looking ahead. So no, no regrets with my daughter for sure. I would have much rather have had her than not. Um, no, I would have maybe preferred to have had her 20 years ago, but, you know, that, that wasn't in my cards. <laughs> well, she, she, is, she is very blessed to have you and, and for you to have each other. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I would say one of my greatest accomplishments is having three daughters, and, and now they're, they're older and we're all great friends and do fun stuff together. I don't have to be a mother now. I get to be a friend, which is a... Oh, that's great. I, I'm I still, look forward I'm, to that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm always a mother, but but still, you know, I mean, just to be have that friendship and that connection is is so very valuable. And now to have granddaughters to do it as well. But Susan, I I really appreciate your time. Um, I, I I really look forward to getting to know you better at different in different ways. But uh, you know, I, I would say let's just say this is the beginning of a relationship. And uh, I will I would like to offer you to be one of our new leading women because that's what what uh, we do at Women Connect for Good. It's all about leading women, leading women in whatever areas of expertise or just in life because I think we all are in this together. And it's going to take us all to to continue to make this a better world and by giving back and, and sharing who and what we do. So I want to thank you for your time and energy. Thank you for yours. I look forward to getting more involved.